If there has ever been a memorable moment in a politician's career, it was two Wednesdays ago when Justin Trudeau, the leader of Canada's Liberal Party, made the most interesting comment. He said, and I quote, I have made it clear that future candidates need to be completely understanding that they will be expected to vote pro-choice on any bills. This means, as it has been explained hundreds of times on many news outlets everywhere, that all candidates running for nomination to represent the Liberal Party in the year 2015 will have to support the party's pro-choice stance. Trudeau added, We are steadfast in our belief it is not for any government to legislate what a woman chooses to do with her body. Oh, Justin, why did you go and say such a stupid thing? You keep saying that the abortion issue is settled, so why did you bring it up? And you are so well-educated and so smart, so why don't you get this? Of course the government can't tell a woman what to do with her own body. But governments tell people all the time that they can't do as they please with the body of another human person, which is what the unborn child is. But I'll let all the pro-life experts worry about explaining that to you. We have a much larger issue at play, and that is a party telling their members how to think. Let me echo what Toronto's Archbishop Cardinal Thomas Collins wrote to you in a letter last Wednesday. The patron saint of politicians is St. Thomas More. He came into conflict with the political authority of his day on a matter of conscience. The king claimed control over his conscience, but Thomas was the king's good servant, but God's first. The cardinal continues, Political leaders in our day should not exclude such people of integrity, no matter how challenging they find their views. And may I add that St. Thomas More was killed for disagreeing with the king. But for the Liberal Party of Canada, it may not even come to that. If they don't want pro-life people in their ranks, perhaps they also don't want our votes. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. Today we're giving away a copy of Ben Apollinar's album, Firm. And so our winner is... William Morris. William Morris, you've won a copy of Firm by Ben Apollinar. Congratulations. If you haven't done so, please send us an email to radio at saltandlighttv.org so you can claim your prize. And for the rest of you, remember, go to our webpage, saltandlighttv.org radio, enter your name and email address, for a chance to win weekly prizes. We received a message from a previous winner, Janice Glover, who won a copy of Father Tom Rosica's book, John Paul II, A Saint for Canada. Janice shared a little story with us. She writes, I had left the Catholic Church for many, many, many years, and I cannot say that I agreed with the philosophies of the Church and Pope John Paul II. But on that very sad day in 2005 when he passed away, the news of his death resonated. I realized I had made a mistake. I was wrong. I wrote on my refrigerator magnet, one of those magnetic white boards, Il Papa Giovanni Paolo, be not afraid. Joyfully, I returned to our beautiful church four years ago. Unfortunately, though, I missed all the wonderful years that our beloved St. John Paul II was our Pope. 
The television documentaries and programs on him prior to his canonization gave me an opportunity to feel as though I was somewhat part of the many years I had missed knowing him. He had become an integral part of my return to the Catholic faith, and I attribute my first calling back to the Church to him. So, as we know, there are no coincidences. I am very touched by the thought that I am to receive your gift on Pope St. John Paul II. That was a message that we received from Janice Glover of Brockville, Ontario, who won a copy of Father Tom Rosica's new book, John Paul II, A Saint for Canada, published by Novalis. And I agree, Janice, there are no coincidences. So happy that you have a book now that can help you live the years that you missed with Pope John Paul II. Thank you for sharing that message with us. And for the rest of you, remember, you can always write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Today, Alicia is here with news, and Andrew will join us remotely with a saint of the week. And in about 15 minutes, Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary, will be here to tell us about the Hollywood Project, and we will be speaking with Michael Lasivita of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association about the situation of Christians in the Holy Land. That's all coming up shortly. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with John Kuypers, the founder of the Inner Peace Mission. He'll tell us all about the secret to finding inner peace. Jesus' Amazing Remedy for Unhappiness. And Curtis Stephen has a new album, Songs of Consolation, and so we're going to be speaking with him about that at the end of the program. But we begin our show with a song from that album. Here's Curtis Stephen with Pastures of the Lord from his new album, Songs of Consolation. Lord, now your servant may go in peace your salvation mine eyes have seen I will walk near running streams in the pastures of the Lord the day is gone work is done Many battles I've lost and won I shall rest and find welcome in the pastures of the Lay me down in verdant field, in green valleys with golden hills, there to find your face
salvation mine eyes have seen only goodness shall follow me in the pastures of the Lord in the pastures of the That was Curtis Stephen with Pastors of the Lord from his new album, Songs of Consolation. We're going to be speaking with Curtis in our second half hour, but now, here is Alicia with our news. Yes, good to be here again, Pedro. Yes. We've got some stories for you. So this week we got more details on an upcoming papal trip. Uh-huh. The Pope is going to Campobasso, Italy on July 5th. It's a really small kind of farming region in Italy, um, mainly because the Archbishop of Campobasso was the Archbishop who wrote the meditations yes. for yes. the Way of the Cross. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, yeah. So Archbishop Giancarlo Brigantini revealed the itinerary for the Pope's day trip, mm-hmm. and it's the usual like mass at the, mass at the stadium, meeting with um, university students and whatnot. But what got what made news was what he said about the trip. And I quote, everyone should bring their own backpack. Yes. And in that backpack, there sh- they should bring water and a hat. There yes. will be no gadgets sold. Maximum sobriety. He also said the archdiocese will cover the costs associated with the trip by taking up a special collection. And he has a perfect plan for this. There are 140,000 people in the archdiocese. Uh-huh. He wants everyone to give one euro that will give them 140,000 euros. And he said with that, they should be able to cover most of the costs associated with putting on a papal visit. So That's how much a papal visit costs? Well, because they're doing this very simply. Wow. This is the thing. that They're not, they're not pulling up the stops. He can't just get into his Ford Focus and drive there? He, what if he could? And stay with at the rectory? Well, it's a two and a half hour drive <laughs> yes. from Rome. So it's about 15 minutes. 140 euros. That's maybe good. 15, 20 minutes by helicopter. Yeah. So the idea is like, we're not going to resort to selling merchandise. We're not going to resort to gimmicks. We're not going to like no. decorate the streets and whatnot. Very simple, very sober. The Pope wants to meet the people and that's what it's going to be. A euro per person. One euro per person. That's good. I mean, yeah. I'm in. It's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting uh, method. Yes, yes. So, moving forward, the cause for Archbishop Romero's sainthood mm-hmm. is reportedly going ahead. Mm-hmm. This week, the Archdiocese of San Salvador held a press conference, mm-hmm. and first, the auxiliary bishop said, I have good news, that's all I can say. Yeah. Then the archbishop arrived and said that Salvadorian bishops had met with Pope Francis, and Pope Francis told them the cause is moving ahead. It yeah. is There's nothing in the way. And he will be canonized in 2017, which will be the 100th anniversary of his birth. Right. Now, the Vatican has not confirmed or denied this report. Mm-hmm. The postulator, Vincenzo Paglia, is a little bit busy. He's in Philadelphia this week checking out the sites for the uh, World Meeting of Families. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why there's been no confirmation yeah. on, on this story. But the Archdiocese is, is saying... It's going ahead. It's going ahead. And we do know the postulator said that the cause was unblocked. Yes. 
just after Pope Francis yeah, was elected. The I sticky, yeah, the sticky situation was that some people believed that he was, were not, well, some people were not certain that he was killed for hatred of the faith. They were right. saying he, it was politically motivated. So, uh, so he wouldn't be a martyr. Exactly. But yeah. as you and I know, Pedro, in Latin America, you know, sometimes the political reasons and hatred of the B- faith. Blurry lines. It's blurry lines. Yes. Because We've known all along that he's a saint. It's exactly. No question there. He was a problem to the government, but he was a problem because he was pushing gospel yes, values. Yes, he was promoting yes. gospel values. Nice. And finally, just as we wrap up, um, every year a different prelate is invited to celebrate Mass on May 13th, okay. Our Lady of Fatima, at the shrine, mm-hmm. at the sanctuary of Fatima. This year, it was the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Fouad Tual. Oh. Very symbolic. Um, He said in his homily that visiting Fatima is a reminder that when God intervenes in human history, Hmm. he does so through simple people, simple places, Mm -hmm. and plain language. He also said just as Mary followed Jesus throughout his life, she never tires of following her children wherever they need her. And he listed a few of the places where Mary has appeared, Pilar, Guadalupe. Yes. And Fatima, of course, is another example because she was needed most there and um, she came to ask people to pray for peace because war was about Mm -hmm. to break out Mm -hmm. and then he turned and referred to his own homeland and the obstacles to peace there and he mentioned the physical obstacles the checkpoints Mm -hmm. and he said he doesn't know what the answer is to the problems of the Middle East but he does know that there's one thing to do and it's the one thing Mary always asked wherever she appeared pray pray go to my son good thank you very much alicia um i'm excited about uh, monsignor romero um that was alicia our salt and light news producer you can watch her every week on vatican connections and follow her on twitter at vatican connections I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And coming up, what's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary. Now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. All right, Deacon Pedro, we are continuing on in the month of May, and uh, we are going to be looking at married saints, you know, as per our conversation uh, the last week or so. So this week we're going to look at St. Rita of Kasha. Most of the saints um, enjoyed marriages that were happy and peaceful, but St. Rita of Kasha did not. Uh, and by all accounts, Rita's husband abused her. And it was known during the 14th century that abused wives had no alternative but to remain in their home. Rita's story begins with her being born in 1381 to a pious Italian couple. Rita was an only child, and she wished to enter the convent, but her parents insisted that she marry. They chose a man named Paolo Mancini, who, although rich, was known for his really, really violent temper. The marriage went well at first, as do most marriages today, but uh, um, gradually, however, Paolo's rages and abusive behavior resurfaced with Rita as the victim. Uh, Important to know that they had two sons, um, and Paolo became involved in political activities that made him many enemies. So Rita persisted in prayer and good example, and finally, recognizing how much pain he had caused Rita, Paolo begged her forgiveness, which she gave him. Unfortunately, the couple's reconciliation was short-lived, as Paolo was murdered in a bloody feud, in a big fight. Rita ended up forgiving her husband's murderers, but her sons vowed revenge. And before they could act, 
uh, both were killed in a fight that had swept through the village. Uh, Rita was both a widow and she ended up being childless. Uh, just imagine being in her position. Rita was able to reconcile her family with her husband's murderers, and uh, with the conflict resolved, she ended up entering that convent at the age of 36, where she lived a life of prayer and penance until her death in 1457. St. Rita, we know, was canonized 114 years ago in the year 1900, at the start of the century. Her feast day is celebrated uh, coming up, which is Thursday, May the 22nd, uh, in many countries, St. Rita of Kasha is the patron saint of abused wives and grieving mothers. So we look to St. Rita of Kasha on Thursday, May the 22nd. That was Andrew Santos, our saint expert, reporting today from an undisclosed location. Andrew Santos is the youth director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Hello, this is Danielle Rose, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour every week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129 on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network and on Holy Family Radio, and of course, online at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood Undercover Missionary, Mark Matthews. Hello, Pedro. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. Welcome back. So, did you go see Mum's Night Out? Uh, I, you know, I actually haven't yet. Okay. Shame, shame, shame on me. Um, but what I did want to point out is that it's written by an Act One alumnus. Oh, yeah? Um, Act One being the Christian screenwriting program out here. Um, and, uh, you know, they, on the opening weekend, they've already made back their $5 million budget, which is very respectable. And uh, they have a very high, 86% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So um, everything I've heard about it is great. So I'd say go check it out. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, and and way to go to uh, Miss Miss Fell for mm-hmm. uh, you know getting an actual screenplay written by a Christian into production. Excellent. Now, it's a miracle. Yeah. Now that that's not what you wanted to tell us. You didn't want to no, talk about that movie. Today I want to talk about something. <coughs> excuse me. Today I want to talk about something called the Hollywood Project, um, and this has been a, a long-time labor of love by a priest, uh, Father Don Wasnicki. Um, he's formerly uh, a priest of the Chicago Diocese, and he's now incorporated in Los Angeles, and this is basically a project or an idea that he's been working on since 2008, um, and essentially it's a comprehensive um, pastoral program for a presence of the Catholic Church within the entertainment culture. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I can't tell you how much something like this is really needed. Um, and it's, it's basically, it's almost like a, a church document, but it spells out specific plans. With a, a, ideally, it's a five-phase program with a five- to eight-year rollout. Hmm. Um, it has specific plans for both, say, the content creators, you know, those of us here in Hollywood, and also content consumers, so those outside of Hollywood, those who, who consume media. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the sort of key things with this is they really want to have a specific pastoral center for Hollywood. And this would be like a real facility, a real building. And personally, I can't tell you how much something like this is needed. It just makes such a difference to have a real building, a real facility, say staffed by 
couple trees. Um, it, would, it would just make such a huge difference to have something like that here. Um, and the kind of things they would want to do with a facility like this is say they'd have specific sacramental outreach, and that would be masses and confessions and spiritual direction that would be tailored to the industry. And that would even be just something as simple as finding time that work with you know people's shifts and things like that, but also addressing you know, specific issues that people you know deal with all the time. Um, they'd have specific pastoral outreach, you know, uh, again, spiritual direction, education programs, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then additionally, they would also have programs that would, you know, speak to the public at large. And, you know, they'd answer questions like, well, how do you support Hollywood? How do you, how do you support a good film like Mom's, and Mom's Night Out? Um, how do you make wise media decisions? What is truth and beauty, you know? And why do we want to look for that in what we can do? So um, it's a very big project uh, with very big goals. And uh, currently, they're starting off really small, just organizing some monthly meetings, um, and trying to get together a core leadership group. And you know, they're they're looking gathering funding for this as well. And it's kind of like a, you know, the, the church here has opened the door, the diocese has said, okay, get started with this, and let's see what happens with it. And so, you know, it's we're kind of hoping to reciprocate as a community, saying yes, this is something we really want. You know, let's make this grow. Um, and so. I'm specifically asking for your prayers for this for this particular project called the Hollywood Project. Um, and if you have money too, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that will help as well. Um, I'll get you in touch with Father John Wojcicki. Um, but it's a really great program, and I'm really excited to see where this will go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to leave it there, Mark. We, we're having a little bit of a not a great connection, but uh, so the Hollywood Project. I'm sure if people can find out more, they can they can look it up and and get more information as to how they can support it, and and support Father Don Wozniki, uh in Hollywood to to uh, to get this underway. Sounds like a great program, and I th- I, I think I, I think it sounds something that that Mark Matthews needs to get involved in, right? <laughs> I, I already am. Absolutely. So that's great. So that's the Hollywood Project. Uh, prayers and money if you have it. Thank you, Mark, very much. Sorry about the, the not great phone connection, but uh, thanks for sharing this important information with us today. Thank you, Pedro. Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary. We reached him at his home in L.A. Hi, this is Michael Paul from the Jacob and Matthew Band. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Send your emails to radio at saltandlighttv.org. Visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Salt and Light TV. We often forget that real people live in the Holy Land and millions of them are Christian. A few years ago, I had the chance to go to the Holy Land on a study tour sponsored by the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. It was an unforgettable experience, a unique pilgrimage in which we visited the people, not the sites that make this land holy. And to tell us more, earlier this week I spoke with Michael Lasevita of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Michael, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. So people who are hearing this, this, this name, Catholic Near East Welfare Association, for the first time, what is Kanewa? Well, it sounds like a tribal, is some sort of an Indian tribal name, doesn't it? Yeah. Kanewa. Uh, but Catholic Near East Welfare Association is actually a North American entity. We were founded by Pope Pius XI in 1926 
to work on behalf of the Eastern churches, that is, the, the churches who are not of the Roman Rite, that date back to the earliest days of the Church, mm-hmm. back to the Apostles. And so we were founded to, to raise support among North American Catholics in Canada and the United States to support these churches in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe and parts of India and Northeast Africa very troubled places of the globe. Yeah, so the support, so the the intention is that the support comes from the North American churches, but it's still a pontifical agency, is that correct? That's correct, that's correct. We were, uh, we, in 1926, uh, of course, Europe was still recovering from from the Great War, First mm-hmm. World War, and was in the midst of, of uh, an economic depression, particularly in Central Europe, and, and, and there were initiatives uh, here in North America that were already providing support to refugees from the Middle East and in um, Ukrainians and Russians right. who'd been dealing with the fallout of the Civil War and the, re- the revolution and Civil War there. So it was just natural that that the church here mm-hmm. in North America, which had resources and support, uh, could and indeed did provide, provide that support for right. the the popes and their wisdom centered that organization uh, in New York, and we have an office in Ottawa. Right, right. Um, okay. Now, how many, uh, do you have a number? How many Christians live in the Holy, or I guess the Holy Land, and maybe you should define Holy Land. Yes, we, at Catholic Near East Welfare Association, we have a broader view of the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. We, we basically follow, uh, being an agency of the Holy See, we sort of take our 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 guidance from from the Holy See, so we don't just see the Holy Land as Israel and the West Bank and Gaza or Jordan, but we look at all those areas that are discussed that were part of salvific history, part of the Bible. So we look at Iraq as part of the Holy mm-hmm. Land, Lebanon, certainly Jordan, Egypt, because the Holy Family visited there, right. even Turkey, perhaps. Yeah. So we have a, a, a much broader view of the Holy Land, really the Middle East. But there are, we think, you know, trying to determine the number of Christians or doing a census in the Middle East is is sort of like counting soap bubbles in a bathtub. It's yeah. not it's not an easy task. But there are anywhere between twelve and fifteen million Christians uh-huh. in that part of the world, um, more actually than than what we we typically think of. Right, and we know that it, that there's a lot of uh, stress, if if I can use that word, in that part of the world. Um, a lot of the Christians are leaving. Why is it important that we have Christians in that part of the world? Well, you know, Deacon, that's a very good word to use, and and unfortunately, that's not a word that one hears often to describe the situation that mm-hmm. these families find themselves in duress or stress. Oftentimes we hear persecution, persecution, persecution. That's not always accurate, but I can get to that later. But why is it important? Well, first of all, Christianity was was founded. Jesus of Nazareth, of course, is from from that part of the world. The Church was born there in Pentecost, and we're approaching Pentecost. It was born in Jerusalem. Its first members were, were from that area. Their descendants still hold on to the faith. And it gave it gave us. Um, it, of course, Christianity is is 
is part of the of the Jewish tradition. It grew from the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. So, and Islam is even a part of that. Is, is a member of what we call this Abrahamic faith. Right. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham. So to lose Christianity would be a great loss to the Middle East and well. Also, too, Christian Christians provide something that not all religions um, really stress, and that is the idea of forgiveness. Mm. Not vengeance, but forgiveness and reconciliation. And Christians provide a bridge to, to that. Uh, they're a catalyst for reconciliation, at least that's what we're supposed to be. Right. And to lose that bridge would be detrimental to the people who would remain. Right. Now, we, we have to leave it there, Michael, but if people want to learn more about Kanewa and, and maybe find out how they can support your work in the Middle East, how do they do that? Well, first they can visit our website, www.cnewa.ca mm-hmm. for Canada. CNEWA.org is for the for folks in the United States. Okay, that's good to know. Michael, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of, of the work that you do, um, and uh, we're going to keep promoting that good work as, as we go on. Thank you so much. That was a conversation I had earlier this week with Michael LaCivita, Chief Communications Officer for the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Christians in the Holy Land is the subject of the newest Sultan-like documentary, Living Stones. The film follows me as I traveled with the Kanewa group through Jordan, Palestine, and Israel, meeting with Christians and learning about the work that they do. Living Stones will premiere on Sultan Light TV this Sunday, May 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you are outside our broadcast area, no worries. You can watch it streaming live at saltandlighttv.org. And on May 18th, Sunday all day, you'll be able to watch Living Stones for free on Vimeo. After May 18th, you'll be able to watch it on Vimeo Pay-Per-View. And of course, if you'd like to purchase a copy of Living Stones, you can do so at our website, saltandlighttv.org. I really hope that you're able to watch it. Coming up in our second half hour, the first rule of inner peace and a featured chat with Curtis Stephen. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Who among you can say that at times you're not preoccupied, or that sometimes these preoccupations actually steal your peace? Or for many of us, unhappy situations are so common in our lives that they've stolen away our peace completely and constantly burden our hearts. And who wants to live that way? But Jesus says that he came to give us life and that we would have it abundantly. 
our next guest, John Kuypers, who quit his executive career at age 38 to save himself from chronic unhappiness, says that Jesus offers a remedy for lack of peace and that it's not just spiritual, but also very practical. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by John Kuypers. John, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. No, thanks very much, Deacon Pedro. Nice to be on the show with you. Yes, it's it's been a while you, that since you and I have spoken, um, mm-hmm. but we keep tabs on each other. What did Jesus mean when he says, "Peace I give you, my peace I bring you"? Well, of course, you know he's he's of course in the broadest sense of the word, bringing uh, the peace that can only be found in in God, and the peace that we know that when we are that we are loved by God. Uh, when we are in relationship with him, and of course he is the one that has reconciled our relationship with him through his sacrifice. Right. Um, I think what uh, perhaps, you know, the connection with the book that I've written is is the one particular teaching that he uh, gave in Matthew 7, 5, where he said, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, yes, and I, and I was going to ask you that, so I'm good you jumped ahead, because I'm still stuck in the, what does removing the plank from my eye have to do with having peace? Yeah, well, that's what everybody asks when they when I bring this teaching to their attention, and my experience with it, it's, it's that it is essentially a Christian practice, that he is saying, if there's something, a speck is basically a fault in another person. So yeah. someone cuts you off, they lie to you, they cheat on you, they break promises, they hit you, they hurt you. These are all uh, faults they have. And Jesus says, well, those are specks. Yeah. And that when you try to remove that speck, that, we're, that we fail. And the reason we fail is because we have a plank in our own eye. And so our failure is a major cause of what's robbing us of our peace. So what's rob okay let me rephrase that see if i get it so what's robbing me robbing me of my own peace is the fact that i'm too focused on your faults right you're noticing that fault that fault is bothering you and and then so that's the first thing that robs your peace and the second thing that robs your peace is that you attempt to fix it and you fail and so now you're frustrated by that failure so the fact that i'm trying to fix your faults Yes, because I'm not listening, I'm not responding, I'm not, right. uh, you know, as a child, I'm not obeying, uh, as your parent, you know, there's many uh, thousands of examples of people who irritate us by not doing things the way we would like to see them do it. Right. So then the secret then, the, or would you say the first rule to inner, inner peace then is to look at my own faults and take care of my own house first? That's right. That's all I have to do. Well, that's what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite. Well, I could even take a step further back in 7, 3. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you have a, a, a log in your own eye? Yes. You hypocrite. First yes. Take the blank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck. So right. we are we, we be, essentially he's saying that we're hypocrites when we're trying to fix other people who have... What really he's saying is we have that fault ourselves. Let's first fix our own fault, and then we'll see more clearly how to actually affect the other guy. So is it is it a matter of fixing my own faults, or is it a matter of letting go of other people's issues? Well, he's saying first take the plank out. So in other words, a plank is... Uh, 
is 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 a, a fault we have within ourselves, and 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 that fault really is a judgment. And he says uh-huh. that in just the sentence before when he says, "Do not judge, or you'll be judged." And the yes. way you judge, you'll be judged, and the measure you use will be measured to you. Right. So, in other words, we use judgments. Judgments are both good and bad. The good judgment is we all we all want to use good judgment in making uh-huh. our decisions. But judgmentalism is when we are condemning the other person. Right. So we see their fault, that they're they lie, they cheat, they're you know sexually, uh, you know mm-hmm. sinful and so forth, and we condemn them for that. And that condemnation is the plank in our own eye, right. our own inability to see how to actually help that other person. Okay. Now, in the book, you talk about uh, how that act or that, that action actually means it's the equivalent of being neutral. Can you explain that? How is not focusing on the other person, but instead focusing on myself, actually being neutral? Well, that's been, after nearly 20 years of practicing this, this Christian teaching, that's been my experience of the effect of it. Uh-huh. When I pull the plank out of my eye, I am become neutral. Uh, and it's a temporary place where I temporarily am at peace that, that the, the fault that they have, that I'm okay with it. doesn't mean I endorse it. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm supporting or in favor of it. It just means that I accept that I... I I may not be able to fix it, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm okay with that. So you're and you're not letting that you're not bound by it. I guess you're that's free right. of it. It's a bias. That's really what a judgment is. It's a biased view. We uh, we're blinded really. And Jesus, if you think about it logically, he's saying if you have a plank in your eye, you're you're spiritually blind, unable to see how to help that other person. And what you're blinded by is your own perception of what the right thing is to do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think that if people heard you speaking, they'd say, okay, I get it. Um, thank you. Why, why do we need a whole book to explain us you know, how to do that? What, what is unique about the book in terms of helping us move through that process? Well, there's two things. Uh, the, the main thing is that it leads to uh, an immediate payoff, which is the thing that's bothering you that you've probably, with clients, I'm, I do a lot of coaching, as you know. Yes. I consider myself an inner peace leadership coach, and my background is in business leadership. Yes. But it's also true at home. that Whenever we're trying to influence another person, we're trying to lead them. And so with this teaching, mm-hmm. we can be as successful at getting that other person to change, sometimes, right. Right. sometimes not. Uh, the biggest benefit is that we're at peace whether we succeed or don't succeed. So right. we've already achieved an immediate benefit for ourselves. Uh-huh. I coach people sometimes, Pedro, and I'm telling you, they will tell me that they have been trying for 5, 10, 15, and even 20 years to get that other person, their their mm-hmm. son, their husband, their wife, their parent, to stop doing this irritating behavior that drives them crazy. Right. And I say, well, how many years in a row do you have to fail before you admit that your approach is failing? Yeah. And yeah. once you admit that, which is an element of surrender involved, mm-hmm. to yeah. admit, okay. I'm failing, then we can say, well, then let's try it Jesus' way. Right. Jesus' way is to accept well, the way I phrase it is, peace first, results second. Uh-huh. See, we always want the reverse as human beings. Results. I'll be at peace after you change, after I get the promotion, after I pay off my debt, yeah. after that person treats me nicely. Uh-huh. 
And what Jesus is saying by first taking the plank out of our eye is he's really saying, first come to peace with the person as they are. And then you'll be free. Yeah. Then you'll be free and to mm -hmm. see how you can actually influence them. Right. And then you may get the results you want, but you may also accept that what you wanted wasn't the right thing to want in the first place. Right, absolutely. Um, John, I, I, that's all the time we have, but I, I, I'm very excited about this. Uh, um, I, I love the fact that you call it a mission, inner peace mission, because I think that you're not just doing mission, mission work yourself, helping people, but also inviting us to, uh, to, to go in on a mission to find inner peace that's a, that's a part of our, our journey. Um, so thank you for the work that you do and for sharing a little bit of that with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me as your guest, Pedro. John Kuypers is the founder of the Inner Peace Mission, helping others find their own answers and constantly grow in peace. He is a speaker and a coach and the author of five books. His latest book, The First Rule of Inner Peace, Jesus' Amazing Remedy for Unhappiness, is available uh, at your local bookstore. You can get it Indigo Chapters online. Also, uh, download for Kindle at Amazon.com. And, of course, you can find it at his website, innerpeacemission.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Curtis Stephen, with Face the East from his album, Songs of Consolation. Face the East, lift your eyes to the horizon. Wait in joyful hope for its light to come. Face the East, for the sun is rising. Christ defeated death and love prevails. The sun will rise and love will light the way for those who choose to believe. So lift your eyes, be watchful and wait. Wait for the dawn, love will light the way. sorrow steals the dark of night making all things new in the east see the hope of each tomorrow Christ defeated death and love prevails the sun will rise and love will light the way for those who choose Your eyes, 
That was Curtis Stephen with Face the East from his new album, Songs of Consolation. Last we spoke with Curtis Stephen, he had just released his previous album, Amid Passing Things. After that, Curtis embarked in an Indiegogo campaign to fund a Songs of Consolation CD. Needless to say, he reached his goal and the album is now done. But it's not just an album, there's a whole ministry around this. Um, we've been listening to a few of the songs, but to tell us more, I'm now joined by Curtis Stephen. Curtis, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, it's great to be back. I know. Now, last time you and I saw each other, we were at World Youth Day. <laughs> mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of consolation happening there. Well, <laughs> how was, <laughs> how, how was I, I didn't get a chance to see you as you were leaving or before you left, so how, how was your World Youth Day experience? Oh, it was just the energy of the people in Brazil was off the hook. It was so amazing that to yeah. see gosh that whole that whole Copacabana beach filled with people and just the the, the persona of our holy father was, you mm-hmm. know, Pope Francis was um and and the things that he's been saying and the things that I think he's drawn that uh to the surface and brought for people um just in, in his enthusiasm to evangelize the church right. and the things he's calling us to, it just feels fresh. It feels it feels beautiful and exciting and Catholic. Yeah, so. and it is. It doesn't just feel that way. It is. <laughs> um, why, I, and don't take this the wrong way, but when I see you, when I hear your music, I don't think about, like, this is the guy that's going to help me, you know, uh, deal with my grieving. So wh- why do an album focusing on consolation and hope? Well, you know, honestly, I just think that's an underrated part of most people's lives. I mean, the one thing that unites us all is the fact that is suffering. It's yeah. suffering. It's not one is the grief of of losing a loved one or or being face to face with that. You mm-hmm. know, um, and uh, the second part of that is that you know suffering unites us all. I mean, everybody has their struggles, and we all need consolations and encouragement at times. And uh, this particular project came from, you know, my dad passed away, um, yeah. and I uh, was just struggling, you know, with uh, trying to to just continue to, to to with all the feelings and emotions that go with that. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, it's they're so innumerable and they're so different for everyone. They're they're very unique for everyone. Mm-hmm. And as we know, in a we're in an era where we're, we're talking about the new evangelization. We give conferences on it and that kind of thing. And and as I was there, I was thinking, you know what? I mean, if we were really serious about evangelization, we sh- we would do our funerals a little different. Mm-hmm. We would uh, try to find ways to um, because after after the funeral's over, after our um, you know we've had our farewells and that kind of thing, it doesn't mean that the grieving's over. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom remarked how. After the after the uh, death of my fat and my dad, my father, mm-hmm. um, we had uh, the house was really quiet. And after the right. flowers fade, and after the uh, the cards are kind of put away, you know, you're kind of left in your grief and a new reality. And yeah. what I wanted to do is try to put music in the modern sense to be able to be in the people's ears, to be able to help give them the word of God in their heart at the time of their choosing when they could 
do it when they had time for it. Right. And uh, just keep it in their car with them at any point. They don't have mm-hmm. to admit that they're listening to a Christian music. Yeah. They can just listen to it on their own time. Yeah. And it really could be evangelistic in that sense, yeah. that it would really open their hearts to that. Yeah. I, as you know, Sarah Hart also just put out an album above Earth Lamentation, dealing with mm-hmm. similar subjects. And, and she told me that she... I mean, a lot of the songs, that's how she was grieving herself. She found that she's, I mean, she's writing songs all the time, and she found that this, was that part of the process for you as well, that you had to grieve through this process? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I think writing songs uh, to me is just, it's the way I I talk to God. You Mm -hmm. know, music is in many ways, just the way that I relate to God, because it encompasses my whole person, you know? Mm-hmm. It enc- encompasses my gift of you know, of music that God gave to me. Yeah. But it also helps me refine the thoughts of what it is that um, I feel like God is saying to me, and also what I would say to someone else, you know? What, how, do I, how do I process this? Right. Um, a lot of the songs in the, in the process, you know, especially Face the East, is um, that... You know, a lot of times in grief, we can't. We want to try to fix the problem. You mm-hmm. always want to have that thing to say that's going to be like, "Yeah, my problems are all gone away." Mm-hmm. You know, the silver bullet. You know, that just wipes away all of the darkness. But the reality is, it's a long, long, long process. And uh, in face the east, I tried to just say, you know, I can't fix the problem for you. Mm-hmm. I can't make the sunrise, but I can tell you where it is going to rise. Mm-hmm. I can point you in the direction, which is in the east. You know, the sun, just keep facing the east, and God will show you the way, and love will light the way, you right. know? So. Now, you said that, I mean, you, your hope is that people can have the CD, they can listen to it in their car, that will help them in their grief. And, and by the way, we're not just talking about a consolation it, f- due to a death, because, I mean, any comfort consolation because you lost your job or because there's any other, other different types of loss, correct? Um, sure, sure. Um, I mean, I had a, I had a, there was a girl... Um, that was part of my children's choir, and she, uh, she was, she had been in my choir for a long time. And when she was a teenager in high school, she, her father was dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and the one thing they kept saying was, you know, we listen to your CD every day, you know, right. and that when we have no words to say, we put the CD on, you right. know, to be with him in that time. Yeah. So it's in the time of people facing that. It's time of people getting depressed about. Um, losing their job or finding out they have an illness, or, yeah. you know, that they're going to have to live with for 40, mm-hmm. 50 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, it could be a divorce, you know, a number of people that have been divorced, and, and they're really struggling with the consequences mm-hmm. of that. But consolations um, are just those, just knowing that someone's present with you, you know, that right. God is with you, right. that people are thinking of you. you right. Know? So so a, a huge part of, of what you're doing is obviously music-centered, but you also have set up a whole ministry around this idea of consolation, songsofconsolation.com. Can you tell us about, about the ministry? Yes, basically, um, we wanted the music to be more than that, you know, it, more than just a CD that I, I give somebody and it's like, here's my silver bullet, you know, hmm. um, but to really give people an opportunity to share their thoughts, to be able to... Uh, um, to hear the people that participated in the Indiegogo fundraising to make the CD possible, mm-hmm. I wanted them to see what their efforts ultimately does to help other people be consoled. Right. So they can look on the website and they can see, you know, the song meant a lot to me. These, this CD, this product, someone gave this CD to me and I was far away from God after my mom passed away or whatever, and it, 
and it drew me in. So it's got lyrics and reflection questions. It's got, uh, um, you know, it's got even a live concert that we did to mm-hmm. debut it. Um, there's different prayers and remembrances that people can put on there right. um, for people that, you know, they want to pray for or remember. Right. So, so and you mentioned earlier about uh, we should do funerals differently. Um, it, would there be resources or, or help for people to help plan their funeral? Is that kind of stuff available there it's as well? Not, it's not so much um, to uh, change the liturgy of it. Yeah. It's really the ministry that surrounds that, that liturgy. Follows, yes. you know, it's the ministry that surrounds um, the funeral. In other words, like a lot of times people come to meet, I, I work in a parish, and a lot of times people come to meet the parish priest and the musician and it's a conversation like, you know, my grandfather was, or my father was really involved in the church. He was a very faithful man, and blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Father, I don't go to church. I used to be yes. an altar server, but yes. I don't go to church anymore. Yes. yes, And so the point being, like, how do we approach those moments where we have contact with people who have been far away from the church and bring them closer to let mm-hmm. them know we really do care? Yeah, I know. Um, it's, that's, that's bang on. It happens to me. I just had that conversation with someone yesterday. As mm. you can, yeah, have them all the time. Um, Curtis, this is great. I'm I'm looking forward to getting my copy. I haven't gotten yet. I've heard some of the songs, but uh, uh, and I know that it, when people buy one, they actually get two. That's yeah, that's kind of the gift. It's it's uh, uh, the the idea is for us to spread the gospel, and so the easiest way to do that is there's a little spot where they can write a little note in a Joe. Sorry about the loss of your grand your father. Yeah, you know, and they can really connect it and then to their. Yeah, and then give that extra copy to someone else. Um, so that's that's just that is a brilliant idea. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. Keep keep it up, and let's connect sometime, my friend. Yes, that'd be great. All right, looking that, forward to it. That was Curtis Stephen. His new album, Songs of Consolation, is available through Spirit and Song, but also you can find out more about the album and uh, about the ministry at songsofconsolation.com. Here now is Curtis Stephen with another song from that album, Daylight. You're the one who knows my heart. You're the one who holds my life. You're the one who dries the tears. You're the one who hears my cries. But surely as the sun will rise, your grace will keep me through night As a watchman wait for daylight I will wait for you You're the hope I'm holding on to You're the love I'm clinging to And when all is lost and others falter Your grace will help me stand For it's you and only you We're listening to Curtis Stephen with Daylight from his new album, Songs of Consolation, distributed by spiritandsong.com. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed part of the program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. 
And that's also where you can stay connected to win weekly prizes from our featured artists like Curtis Steven. Remember to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1 and send us your comments on what you've heard on this program. You can also like me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.